You're listening to The John Hammer Show, thoughts and discussions from a preacher, disciple of Jesus, author, poet, and pastor. Brought to you by the Sunrise Podcast Network. For more information about Sunrise and or the Sunrise Podcast Network, check out isunrise.org. This podcast is also sponsored in part by Seattle Bible College. For more information about the school, check out seattlebiblecollege.edu. Well, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The John Hammer Show on theology, culture, and leadership. Uh, with a new friend of mine, Theo Koulianos Jr. Theo, it's really great to have you in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, thank you for having me. And um, just to uh, get to know you a little bit over the phone, but better in person. <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, so um, I don't know how many of my listeners uh, will be familiar with your story and kind of like where you come from, so I, yeah. that's what I'd like to start with, I think, number one. Yeah, well, first, yeah. thank you for the invitation. Yeah. And... Um, I really um, enjoyed our dinner last night and getting yeah. to know you guys. I think that's the best part about ministry is mm-hmm. actually being able to establish relationships and build relationships with people and serve Jesus at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, I I grew up in a Greek Orthodox home. Um, mm-hmm. We had never visited any other church outside of the Greek church our entire life. Yeah. And so my mom, my dad, my brother Michael, and myself, um, when I was about eight years old, um, Prior to me being born, actually, prior to me being born, my parents lost a little girl. Mm. Um, when I was around eight years old, my brother, Michael, kept getting sick. Mm. And so they sent him to doctors and specialists, and there really was nothing that they could do. At the time, my parents owned uh, import-export of sponges and coral down on the sponge docks. Like, it's huh. a Tarpon Springs, Florida is where I'm from, a small little Greek town. First language is Greek. I mean, oh, wow. it's pretty intense, yeah. So everybody there only attends the Greek Orthodox Church, and mm-hmm. um, that's all we knew. I was an altar boy. My brother was an altar boy. My dad was the president of the church. My uh, mom's first cousin was the Archbishop of North and South America. Another cousin was the Archbishop, Archbishop of Hong Kong. So oh, wow. we were fully integrated into that, that community. Um, and this lady walks up to my mom at her place of business and says, hey, there's a place in Orlando where people get healed. I know you don't want to lose another child. Why don't you take Michael over to this service? And my mom actually asked her to leave the property, said, don't you ever come back here again? That's a cult. Huh. Anything outside the Greek church is a cult, that kind of stuff. Right. Well, my brother kept getting worse, and out of desperation, I think just the fact that my mom couldn't fathom losing another child, she contacted this person and said, where do we need to go? And I remember jumping in the car with my brother, my cousin, myself, my mom, and uh, we were invited by some uh, friends, and we followed them up there to Orlando, which was Orlando Christian Center where Pastor Benny Hinn had his church. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, you got to understand, we've never seen TBN. We've right. never seen any church outside of the Greek church. Right. Never. Not a movie, yeah. not a TV show, no gauge for anything. Yeah. And I remember, you know how when you're young, you remember traumatic moments in detail? Mm-hmm. I remember it in detail, man, like the color <laughs> of the carpet, people yelling and screaming wow. and hands lifting and thinking, where are we? And uh, we sat kind of in uh, in the middle section, and uh, I just remember that just kind of observing and watching. We've never seen this, kind of a, a freak show to a certain degree. Like, what is happening? In the middle of it, he stops, and he points at my brother, myself, and my cousin. He says, you three get on stage. Again, we didn't even know what that meant. Like, what do you mean get on stage? So that the security came and said, hey, he wants you on stage, get on stage. At that time, he was throwing his jacket. And um, as if the environment wasn't crazy enough, the fact that someone would throw a jacket 
and then people fall down was really weird for us to even comprehend. He throws it on my brother, and then at that time, he lays hands on my cousin and I, first time falling down, but I remember what I was thinking as a child on that floor. My head, my head felt like it was nailed to the ground. My hands felt like they were nailed to the ground, but I remember thinking, what is happening? I, I, huh. I, I remember it in the moment. Yeah. And then I can hear to the side, my brother speaking like in a language that's not Greek huh. and it wasn't English. I was like, what is this? What is he speaking? Wow. And so my mom ran up on stage. Pastor Benny said, whatever that one came in with, he's not leaving with. And he was completely healed. Uh-huh. And so uh, Orlando Christensen was probably two and a half hours away from our house. And um, my mom would take us in the car. And anytime those church doors were open, we were there. Oh, wow. And two hours there, two hours back. I mean, getting home in the middle of the night, all that kind of stuff. My dad at the time, though, was a Greek, he still is, a, a Greek man. He was ex-military, president of the Greek church. Uh, once we had tasted the presence, we realized that we had to leave the church mm-hmm. and we were drawn to the place where we encountered Jesus that night. We gave our heart to Jesus, everything. He pulled us in the back room. Pastor Benny explained to us the gospel. We gave our hearts to Jesus, all of it. Mm-hmm. And so, but my dad and my mom fought because my dad was still the president of the church. And in the culture, you don't defy the father. Mm-hmm. You just don't do that. And so the fact that my mom was willing to go to war um, and position her kids in the presence on a consistent basis speaks volumes to mm-hmm. um, to my mom and her character as the most incredible mom that I know outside of my wife, of course. <laughs> um, and so my dad, after a year of fighting and everything, decided, hey, I'm going to follow them up there to see what they have chose over, over the Greek church and over me. And um, I'm going to bring the divorce papers in hand. And they followed us to Orlando with divorce papers in hand. And um, I remember my dad coming into service. My dad doesn't play games. I thought we were dead. And um, he just watched. And the first testimony of that night after, yeah, the first testimony was the li- a little girl who had similar, uh, had a similar disease as my sister who passed away. Oh, wow. He says to himself, if that little girl falls down, I'll believe this is real. Because he thought everyone was being paid. They were getting uh-huh. paid to fall down. He didn't. Uh-huh. Again, he'd never seen anything. He didn't know it. Sure. And when he, when he said that, simultaneously, the Lord touches that little girl, and my dad is in a fetal position on the floor, sobbing, crying, and he just stands up with his hands raised, like, instantaneously. And he had a black and blue mark on his chest for two weeks, a deep blue mark, mm. where we believe the Lord literally touched my dad. Mm. And um, our family kind of had never been the same since. So. Wow. That's kind of the backdrop. And then yeah. we just, I got off, off course when I was, you know, I didn't realize we had a lot of money before we met Jesus. After we all met Jesus, we lost everything. I didn't understand that. Michael and I kind of got a bit sideways and then ended up going to ORU once we got our life back on track. Um, I, I went to ORU, met my wife, Rachel, there, and um, started serving the Lord full time since 2001. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and how many kids do you have now? We got what, three, one in the oven. One in the oven. So we, it'll be four boys. Yeah. Yeah, so we got uh, my oldest is 14, who's with me yeah. on this trip. And then we got Henry, who is 10, and Caleb, who will be eight in a couple of days. And then our little baby boy will be due in March. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bonus baby. I know, man. I did not see it coming, but we are th- so thankful. Yeah, I mean, once they're coming, yeah. then it's all exciting. Yeah. Yeah, the thought at yeah. first I was like, yeah. "Man, sleep." I, I, I just got it. You just got used to sleeping just got used to <laughs> again. Sleeping, but I know I'm ready for it. I remember that period because I've got four 
And I remember like, what's wrong with me? And then I started sleeping regularly through the night and I'm like, oh, I haven't slept in like six years yeah, or eight exactly. years or whatever. That's exactly. That was my first thought. I was, I was like... actually, they recorded me because we thought, <laughs> we had thought she was going into premenopause because mm-hmm. she was just not acting herself to, oh. to be polite. I mean, uh-huh. um, she was just, we were like, the, even the kids were like, man, something wrong with mommy? Like, we understand like that time of month, but this thing's being stretched on. It's like, like, when does it end? And so she's like, something's wrong. I feel like I'm going to, so we ordered like $400 of vitamins mm-hmm. the night before. We're at my cousin's house in Tampa and he's like, um, no, she, she says, Hey, I have an extra pregnancy test. I, uh, you might be pregnant. Why don't you check it out before you, you know, start doing premenopausal stuff. Uh-huh. And so I left to go drop my mom off. When I came back, they had the cameras rolling, ready to go. Oh, wow. And she goes, are you ready to have another one? She handed it to me. And I was like, and you know what's so crazy is, and it's probably horrible of me, but I was like, the first thing I thought of was the sleep. I was <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. We have so much going on in life right now. And then after I was very, very, very thankful yeah. and happy about it. And we're, we're so grateful. Oh, man. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. So when you grew up in Greek Orthodox, um, did you were you old enough to like really understand any of their theology or like um, some of the values of that sh- of the church? Yeah, so we we were altar boys, mm-hmm. and so we um, we didn't really understand what we were doing at the time. Okay, but the older I got, when I was sixteen years old, they have this thing called Epiphany. It's like mm-hmm. a huge huge ordeal in the United States. All the uh-huh. Greek boys. Uh-huh. There's only like three places in the world that do it. I think New York. Um, Tarpon Springs, Florida, and then Greece. Huh. And kids between the ages of 16 and 18 will dive for a cross in a bayou. Mm. So there's thousands upon thousands of people that come there. Wow. And so the archbishop, uh, actually the uh, patriarch, I think, mm. and the archbishop come together. They throw a cross into the body of water. Uh, the boys who are 16 to 18, after this massive procession and parade, will jump in the water. Whoever grabs a cross is blessed, you know, for a year, they say. Huh. Just a year, though. It expires. Oh, okay. Um, and so <laughs> when, I, when I ended up catching it at 16, oh, wow. well, they knew I was outside of the church, but my grandfather paid my dues. Uh-huh. So legally, I was baptized there, and I, my dues were paid, so I was a member of the church, so they couldn't take the cross away from me, and they had to let me dive. Uh-huh. And so... Um, but I was the first born again Christian to catch it huh. in its enti- like entire history. Wow. So I remember I had to sit down before the council mm-hmm. of like all the archbishops and priests at a breakfast. And it was like, I mean, just a massive table huh. and then all these guys. Yeah. And I remember one of the, the priests saying to me, he says, so you're a reborn Christian, are you? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, sir, I am. He goes, what makes you, what, what gives you the right to read the Bible? Um, and what makes you think that you have the right to interpret scripture at that time? Now I was 16 years old, and uh-huh. I I think just the childlike simplicity was, well, it, I read it here, and I read them John 3, and I just kind of went through it, and and it infuriated some of them. But at the same time, it kind of led me on this desire to really realize that the traditions mm-hmm. that they're actually executing are beautiful in nature. Uh-huh. They just don't understand why they do what they do. So yeah. Um, it, it allowed me to have a, a look into kind of their perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, it's they're beautiful, but there's no presence on it. Yeah. And well, it's interesting because I've, I've heard more people now that I'm, you know, we're like we're the same age, actually 41, mm-hmm. uh, uh, 
but now that I'm getting close to my in my 40s now, close to, um, uh, I'm meeting more people that are like in this generation that are hungry for orthodoxy. Yeah. Um, for some of the doctrinal stuff. Sure. And like the real intellectual, like and but then also the real mystical. And there is a side of some of the Orthodox Church. I don't know if it's always Greek Orthodox. Because is Greek Orthodox I mean, separate Russian, from Eastern Orthodox no, I, or the very, Russian? They're, they're, very they're very similar, right? Yeah, very similar. Right, and I mean that's all ne- technically all a part of Eastern Orthodoxy, mm-hmm. the Greek, the Russian. Um, but uh, there is, in a sense, a mystical sense of wanting union with Christ yes. and theosis and this idea yeah. that God became a man so that man could become like God. Mm-hmm. And I know some Protestants, I think, criticize that doctrine because they think they're teaching that like a, a human could become actually sure. God, like god to the sense that they would be a god but the more i've learned about it it's actually probably a missing thing in protestantism is yeah. that we don't value the transformation process into christ likeness yes. or the oneness or the union 100%. that we have that the orthodox church kind of contends for right yeah so i've uh one of my mentors uh, bishop joseph matera like he reads very widely he's a charismatic uh, apostolic kind of Christian, but he reads widely Catholic theologians, Eastern yes. Orthodox theologians, yep. Evangelical Protestants, you know, and is just like, let's take the best that lines up with the Word. Of course, the right. Word is our ultimate, it's our canon, it's our ultimate guide, not just the traditions of the church necessarily. But he's taught me to value and not despise things before that I would be like, well, they, sure. you know, they're not even born again, or why do they yeah. do these dead rituals? Or, yeah. you know, because I, I grew up in Pentecostalism, so right. completely opposite. I, yeah. It's like the wild, wild west out yeah. here. It's yeah. kind of like whoever has the most miracles sells right. the most books yeah. and is the most dynamic they're speaker. We're like, yeah, we, yeah. yeah, they're yeah. the holiest, and you got to yeah. follow them. And so I've learned to like appreciate some of these different streams yeah. or traditions of well, the body of when Christ. When we got started, yeah. Okay, when I say started, like so, we met Jesus that night, mm-hmm. and all we had was orthodoxy yeah. to gauge our connection with God. We didn't know anything uh-huh. different. Even attending those corporate meetings on a on a weekly basis, the fact of we were Greek. Mm-hmm. Our entire family was still Greek, yeah. and so our community was submersed in orthodoxy. Yeah. So Michael and I didn't know anything. That we had, we were touched by the Lord. My cousin Theo B, because uh, we have six Theos, so he's uh-huh. Theo B, and uh-huh. and so it was me, Theo B, my my cousin. I mean, my brother, and we would we're like, well, we just met Jesus. What do we got to do? Let's go to the Orthodox bookstore. And so we grabbed all these icons from the bookstore, oh. <laughs> postered them on our wall where there were horrible posters before, took all those horrible posters down, and it was like, it looked like a St. Michael's Cathedral. I mean, it was like we had candles, we had everything. But wow. we would just literally, I remember in those moments encountering God, and we would be on our knees, and we knew nothing mm-hmm. of anything outside of, okay, we know that the we met Jesus. He said, read the Bible, so we're mm-hmm. just going to read the Bible. But the presence of the Lord would show up in those places, yeah. and it was beautiful. It actually taught me to value the aspect of mysticism in the area of isolation and union with God. So mm-hmm. I really love Madame Guyon's books. Uh-huh. I love um, Miguel Molinos. Uh-huh. I love I love those those writings, and it might be just about because of the fact of where I came from orthodoxy. Well, it hit you something. know, I think I knew like the, the you know your name obviously like is very Greek, of course, and. I think I had heard something in a little video that our mutual friend Dr. List had shared with us, or maybe heard a snippet of your story anyway, or maybe your brothers. I've, I've, I haven't followed like Jesus image like yep. super close, but I, I do definitely tune in from time to time and I've appreciated like some of your brother's messages. Yeah. And I saw one of yours that Dr. List sent us. I think it was when you were at Lifestyle Christianity in that window. Um, but uh, it, when you were here talking about coming out of Greek Orthodoxy, for whatever reason, it yeah. like hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, 
Jesus image makes so much more yeah, sense to me it now. Does. Even like, the honestly, graphics. yeah, the oh, yeah, graphics, the, glass, the heart, the all of it, the contemplation, the union with Christ, yeah. the focus on Jesus, and like, yeah. I mean, I just switched our church, kind of Grace and I updated our church mission statement name yeah. to it'd be like that we're a spirit filled church family all about Jesus. Yeah. I mean, so that's why I've resonated with Jesus image is yeah. even in my like my Bible college experience at Seattle Bible College, like our one of our teachers he always taught us like wherever you cut the book it bleeds the atoning blood Mm. and so i was like yeah so that's how i grew up i was like you look for jesus in scripture and you're to commune with christ this is a living book he's a living god he wants to be with you and so i just always and my dad had a strong prayer life so that was you know modeled and imparted to me uh so anyway i i always have resonated with what your family has represented yeah and well, those, those all values we, all we knew yeah. was him mm-hmm. i don't know if that makes sense so it's like we, we didn't know denomination right after we met him outside of orthodoxy mm-hmm. uh all we knew was him we didn't yeah. have anyone teaching us kind of coach we went to the incredible services with pastor benny and we would you know, we were under that teaching, but we lived two hours away and we had no community that thought or saw life the way we did. Yeah. And so we clung to isolation mm-hmm. and each other and his presence. Yeah. And so like I still to this day, well, even if you, if in, in my, like if you look at um, when John the Baptist is, you know, he finally identifies the Lord and he says, behold the lamb. And then the yeah. disciples are following them and they approach Jesus and they're from behind Jesus turns around and says, what do you seek? And mm-hmm. they would say, we want to know where you live. We want to know where you dwell. And so they walk in referring to him as rabbi and they walk out saying, we found the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of crazy that in the place of secret, mm-hmm. they walked in seeing him one way, but they walked out seeing him a completely different way. Yeah. I felt like that's kind of what happened to us. We isolated ourselves in the place of secret, knowing him based on what others had told us about him but it was in that place of union and intimacy where he revealed himself to us and so now i could walk out saying he's not just savior he's lord he's not just lord he's king he is healer and all of those attributes in time Mm -hmm. through isolation and it's not like isolating myself from the world but it was what we Mm -hmm. needed i think in that time to really allow ourselves to encounter god so that we could reveal him oh it's amazing i mean my brain's like going to five different places right now. <laughs> but uh, I think to me, that's again why I resonated with what you guys have valued and experienced and carry because I'm just convinced that the church needs to be all wrapped up in Jesus again yeah. uh, and really consumed about making him yeah. famous, making him seen and known. And really, it's uh, he's the head. We're here to yes. lift him up. We're here to exalt his name. We're here to represent him. Yeah. You know, Jesus, uh, that Jesus is Lord meant a lot more, I think, to the early church than it does sure. to a lot of us in our Western way of thinking. I think that's why I value those mm-hmm. writings as well. Mm-hmm. These weren't people who were trying to be New York Times bestsellers. Right. You know what I'm saying? They weren't even writing mm-hmm. f- to be accepted by men. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, these guys who were in prison, who were being tortured for the gospel, Oh, spiritual guide. I'm not sure if you've ever read it by Miguel Molinos. It, mm. You know, it was at one, one time the Bible was it was second in regards to the Bible as far as a book that had been burned mm. was right behind it. Anyone caught with it would be executed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you had people who were putting ink on a page, and what they were putting on a page would cost them their life. Right. Right. Let alone being accepted by them, it would cost yeah. them their life. So I found myself just being drawn to 
the motive as to why they would write what they were writing. Mm -hmm. You must have really believed in this. And in order to be willing to lay down your life for Christ, you must have had an incredible encounter with him Mm -hmm. to the degree in which you would be willing to proclaim him at the cost of your own life. So I value authors who have a their life on the line for what they're writing. Right. And it's not that I don't love where we're at today because I still believe that things go from glory to glory to glory. Uh-huh. But I do value looking back and being inspired by mm-hmm. how they encountered him. I don't feel like we are to mimic people. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I want to replicate like if Madame Guyon was, you know, mm-hmm. in a transfer in her, her room for hours and uh-huh. days, I don't know if I could do that, but right. I honor the fact that her heart and her desire to pursue God Mm -hmm. and not leaving a spot until she did uh, allows me in my pursuit of God to understand that if she encountered him that way, I also can encounter him in a similar way. And so I love, I love stillness. Mm -hmm. I love rest. I love bridal union. Mm -hmm. I love like mother Vasilia Schlenk, her book, my all for him is my favorite, Mm -hmm. probably my favorite book. It's bridal love. It's bridal Mm -hmm. union. I believe that the Lord from day one, the first things he said to us were come away with me. Mm -hmm. I I still believe that because Mm -hmm. even before it says go and make disciples of men, Mm -hmm. it says come. Mm -hmm. So the aspect, that verbiage prior to the go is come. So come first and then you can go. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes in our churches, we're sending people on the go Mm -hmm. before we've taught them how to come. And we want them to leave with something, um, not just a script to reiterate and repeat to somebody or a track, although those things are fantastic. But I think that it would be just like the disciples when they walk in, they're like, we have, and they walk out saying, we have found him. Come and see the man that I have met. He is Messiah. I think we all need that. Well, you know, when you look in someone's eyes and you Mm -hmm. know, man, you met him. Surely they've been with God. Not surely they've heard about Mm -hmm. him. And you're just reiterating yeah. what you heard. You've seen him, and you know that he's. You know that you've been seen. Yes. Like he see. You, yeah. You know he saw through them, and they felt some. They experienced yes. something that changed the core of their being. Hundred yeah. uh, percent. Now that book you just referenced um, is your favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that who started the Evangelical Sisters of Mary? No. So that, those are the sisters of Canaan. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mother Wesley was one of them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. That's, yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, because they started in Germany. Correct. But then they, I was at their place. I remember I called Did you, you texted go? you I, yeah, in yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. I didn't have very long. It was like family vacation. So I, I wasn't going to get, like, yeah, get a whole day awesome. away, but I did get to talk to one of them out in the garden mm-hmm. that was, we're doing, it was like, it was August, you know, yeah. in Phoenix. So it was like, <laughs> it was precious. super hot. Yeah. So there was not a lot of people yeah. there and no, none of them were out and about except for one. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed getting to like see the grounds and pray there for a little while yeah. and get a few of the brochures. And, mm-hmm. um, and I was really impacted, uh, by a statement that I think it was your brother when I first heard of Jesus image probably. And from what it was probably one of the big conferences they'd mm-hmm. done a few years ago. And, I think it was your brother Michael was sharing um, like that one of the sisters had talked to him and just made this statement like find the love of God and love him back yes you know and I was like yeah so few words but so yeah. weighty a truth 100% you know and I was just like I wanted to talk to you about that and you kind of already yeah. helped lead the conversation there yeah because uh, so it, it and you and you told me before also that you had spent some time some extended time mm-hmm. with them what was that like? What did you learn? Yeah. Uh, like? So I was in the middle of pastoring and life was just getting too busy. Mm-hmm. And so I've come to realize like uh, not just 
being around anybody in specific seasons, but being around people who carry the very thing you're longing for. They carry rest and stillness. I think you can look at it just the way in which they communicate. Mm-hmm. It's like a soothing, they talk in such yeah. in a loving, simplistic way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's what I need in my life. And so we just went for like, I brought a buddy of mine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, bro, I'm going to kind of lock away for a little bit. I'm going to go and just spend as much time I, c- I can with the sisters. And, um, and yeah, so we did that. But prior to that, years before, I would say maybe right around 2013 we had been going through a pretty difficult time in regards of ministry and family and um i i remember feeling like something was missing i would do fast i would lock up i'd spend time with the lord and i'd spend like 40 days on a fast and felt like i should have spent 41 there was no delight Mm -hmm. and pleasure in what i was doing i was like Mm -hmm. man this doesn't something's off and so it was in it was in her writings actually, Mother Vasilia, where mm-hmm. she began to talk about tending to the Lord. Mm-hmm. So the the sole purpose of our life would be to tend to the heart of the Lord. Yeah. It's whatever He wants. It's what we do. We mm-hmm. we love Him. Anything that we can do for Him. So it shifted my perspective where I was realized I think that I don't have a full revelation on the love of God. And so I was trying through fasting through spending I mean I'd lock myself in my bathroom for three days and just spend time with the Lord like mm-hmm. and I, and all those things were wonderful but I think I was trying to get something mm-hmm. and I think after I came to the end of myself I realized that the thing that I had been pursuing I did not retain mm. and I needed that and mm-hmm. so in the most simplistic way after just listening to her her talk and uh, my time with the Lord um, I said I felt in my heart that I've yet to receive I didn't know how to receive receive and so i'll be like well if i give this then i can get this but receiving just to receive and so then i I've, i caught the revelation that in order for me to give god what he loves and what he desires more than anything in the world he wants to be loved by us mm-hmm. we, we in the remember the you know say the the lawyer or the scholar whatever they want depending uh-huh. on how people look at it but uh-huh. that man who was pretty brilliant said what's the most important thing and without hesitation jesus responds back and says love me mm-hmm. you know love the lord your god so mm-hmm. i realized that man that's that's what he wants but at the same token then revelations 2 speaks of the fact of him desiring a specific kind of love which is first love mm-hmm. and so um i believe that you can only love the way you've been loved and so mm-hmm. I had been trying to love God the way I assumed he wanted to be loved without allowing him the opportunity to love me first and in the process of loving me, teach me how to love him. Mm-hmm. And so my kids will love me the way I love them. Yeah. That's how they're going to learn. They're going to learn through us, right? So right. in that process, so I realized, wait, I think that I've been trying to love Jesus the way I'd been loved in my life. And as well as I had been loved by others, it was not perfect and first love right and so that's when i realized i think i have to receive and in that process Mm -hmm. i received the love of god i received first love he taught me what love looked like and now i had the love to give back to him that he could receive Mm -hmm. which is perfect love i did not have perfect love without until he gives it to me right and so i i know that he's perfect in nature yeah and so i wanted to give him the very thing Mm -hmm. that he desired but i couldn't give him that thing until he gave it to me first yeah, amen. We yeah. love him because he first loved first us, loved right? Us. And so we can only grow as like a response or a reflection. 100%. Back. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. It's just, I didn't realize how difficult it is to receive. And your time there 
with the sisters was really impactful in that. It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, they kind of let you keep to yourself because right. it's between you and Jesus. Yeah, right. But I got to eat with them. Uh-huh. You know, we have lunch with them, and they would say, you know, come, and all the sisters sit around, and then they bless the Lord, and they sing. They do a hymn before eating, and and then we would have worship services, but then we would go down the prayer garden, and mm-hmm. you sit at the stations yeah. of his suffering. And so that was another thing, too, that I pulled away from that is um, he's still the man of sorrows. Mm-hmm. And um, their way of kind of articulating it is, do you think that what he sees in the world grieves him? And we're like, absolutely, of course yeah. it does. And then she's, then the next thing would come, well, who consoles him? Mm. And so we are constantly desiring to be consoled by him, but a true bride mm. doesn't just take, one also gives. Yeah. So that's where I learned to even start my prayer life off with, how can I tend to your heart today? How are you feeling? Mm-hmm. I, you know how I'm feeling. You know all my needs. Uh, I want I want to know yours. I don't know yours yet. Mm-hmm. And so starting my time with the Lord, beginning to put his heart before my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so tending to his heart was uh, something incredible. The men of sorrows being able to consult him. In the garden, when he is going through it mm-hmm. and he separates himself, he has his disciples there. Um, he turns away from angels and turns to his friends. Mm-hmm. The, and the thought of me in my worst time, in my most difficult time, emotionally and everything pressing in on me, I, I'm drinking the cup. Like, I don't know if I would turn to mortal men. Mm-hmm. And when I had the opportunity to be consoled by angels. Yeah. And so that idea then reveals something to me today that he has not changed he, he doesn't change his nature. Who he is in the text is still who he is today. I still believe that he is still desiring in his moments when he looks at the earth and he sees what he is seeing in the in, in, in the way in which it brings sorrow to his heart. I still believe he turns to us to console him. Mm. And so I have the privilege of consoling Jesus when he's yeah. hurting. In the short time I had in the garden there, you know, like it was a good reminder for me for especially leading uh, church through 2020, 2021, <laughs> kind of almost feel like a repeat of 2020 yeah. in some ways, right? About the way of suffering. Yeah. And, you know, the way of the cross. Yeah. Like, I think it's something that, even though, you know, in the circles that we run in, there's a lot of talk of victory and mm-hmm. uh, overcoming, which rightfully so. Sure. Uh, I love victory. Uh, uh, I love victory. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, my dad it would always, he always kind of had like an old school. Uh, streak you know that he'd always want to stay in touch with and I loved and I was always drawn to that too some of the the preachers that are probably with the Lord now um, all of them or most of them you know but yeah. they would talk about the power of his resurrection but also the fellowship of his suffering of his and suffering, we know him in yeah. both realities absolutely you know and it can be easy to want to escape some of that yeah um, but there is a there is a strange healing and relief that really? comes when we do embrace the suffering yeah you know, I, I know it's not accepted by most now because no mm-hmm. one wants to associate suffering with victory. Uh-huh. But I believe that suffering is a blessing. Mm-hmm. To be able to suffer right. on behalf of the Lord, yeah. Paul counted that thing to be something beautiful, uh-huh. and one one should desire and attain that. I mean, so for, for, for us, it's like, am I choosing those moments? No. But right. when they come across mm-hmm. my plate, I relish the moment mm-hmm. in a difficult scenario to give Jesus what he so desires from me when it's not easy. Yeah. The, the other aspect of 
you would know this as a pastor, mm-hmm. consoling somebody has a lot. Those who console well are typically those who are acquainted with everything. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, when we were younger and we were pastoring, people weren't trying to lead people. We knew nothing. Right. And people were sitting before and we're only giving them based on our experience. And, and maybe yeah. we heard someone else say something, but you yeah. could tell, like, yeah. bro, you're just talking. You, you, right. know, you don't even know what you're talking about because you've yet to yeah. collide with it. Right. <laughs> yeah. One of my dad's friends in ministry lost his wife and uh, to, I, I don't remember what disease, but um, he's like, told my dad, he's like, I, I, I need to apologize to every person I ever counseled that lost someone and told him just to grieve for this long and get over it. He's yeah. like, my whole, I feel like I'm just pulled apart, you know, and yeah. he's a solid minister and everything. But yeah. He's like, man, I did not, I did not give the right counsel. We just didn't know any better. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, I definitely see Christians embrace, I think, a twisted view of suffering, like they're suffering as a result of sinful choices or, oh, sure. or negative thinking. Yes. And they're like, I'm just suffering for Jesus. And you're yes. like, no, 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 that's, no, 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 no. That's demonic suffering from close. the demonic is a different thing. Yes. Completely. And we gotta, yeah. we gotta get that theology. Right. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, like when it's really in Christ yeah. on behalf of following him and being in allegiance to him, when 100%. you're obeying what he wants, even when it's hard and painful and difficult, because yeah. life circumstances or challenges, then yeah, because yeah, it's when a fragrance to him, it totally that's exactly it. it. It absolutely is, and mm-hmm. I'm realizing too that if we have the privilege of consoling the Lord, mm-hmm. then our ability to console Him in a more efficient and effective manner, mm-hmm. if that principle applies, that being acquainted with whatever it is you're actually consoling someone else through mm-hmm. v- helps you help someone else then now I look at the opportunities when I am in a difficult scenario, not because I've done anything wrong, but because I've done everything right. Paul was in many Mm -hmm. difficult scenarios, not because he did anything wrong, but because Mm -hmm. he did everything right. The disciples were tortured and persecuted and rejected because of that same Mm -hmm. truth. But in the process of them being um, in a difficult scenario, they were acquainted to a certain degree of what Jesus was going through. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, when we have little moments, because we're never going to be fully acquainted with what the Lord went through right. ever. Right. But in those little moments, when we find ourselves colliding with a difficult situation that the enemy means to destroy us, we can flip it on his head mm-hmm. and say, no, you've allowed me now to be acquainted with a different side of the Lord's heart that I can tend to him a bit better. I can look at him as he looked at me and said, I'm acquainted. And I can say, Lord, I'm acquainted to a small level of what mm-hmm. you're going through. I know what it felt like for me. I can't imagine what it would feel mm-hmm. like for you. And now that you've been acquainted, you can love him all the more. Yeah. And so I find it a great privilege. to do, Like, I still pray this all the time. Like, Lord, if you're looking for a place to just be you, you need someone to talk to. You need a place to rest your head. Mm-hmm. You need someone to cry on, a shoulder to lay, whatever. I want to be that for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as I have the opportunity here on earth to tend to your heart. Because yeah. that time in glory, I don't know what it will look like. Right. But I do know that I have a moment here to choose. Mm-hmm. I can choose to say no to the things of this world and yes to the one who stands before me. Mm-hmm. And I want to rejoice in our victories together. I want to be there when you're hurting. Um and it's allowed me to really look at, into the relationship that I have with him mm-hmm. with more depth than I did before. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's really beautiful and powerful. I'm taking mental notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really putting him first. Yeah. You know, uh, in a very spiritual, but very practical way too. Yeah. yeah. Like 
I'm literally going to put his needs in front of my own. Yeah. And say what what what's on your heart? What yeah. do you you know what do you care about right now? Yeah. Don't you love being consoled by your wife? Yeah. Absolutely. And so I feel everything in life points to our relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? So he allows yeah. us to be married so we can understand what that whole process is. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it is to be a bride, but I do know mm-hmm. on the side of, of mm-hmm. to a certain degree by observing and watching my wife be one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no other set of arms outside of my children, mm-hmm. um, but really my wife, when I'm going through it, that I want to run into. Mm-hmm. I believe we get that from him. Yeah. That he wants to run into the arms of his bride. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, We've ran into his. We've been secured by him numerous times Mm -hmm. as we've been there for our wife and we've protected and consoled. But in our moments, um, I I still believe that the arms of his bride should be there to receive him. Why do you think it's so hard for pastors and leaders? And that's a big part of your heart is to is to help pastors as you've been one for many years in different seasons and fulfill a lot of roles in the body of Christ. You've done mass evangelism. Yeah. you know done consulting pastor yeah. churches been assistant pastors lead pastors I didn't you realize know all that yeah you're saying and I'm like oh my gosh yeah you've had a lot of experience you've had a lot of experiences I mean even in the short time I've got to know you I've already heard you know snippets of different stories yeah. and seasons it's like wow and and you've expressed that you know you really have a heart for pastors why do you think it's so hard and why is it so needed for us to just be alone with Jesus <laughs> I believe that the solution and the remedy to life Mm-hmm. It's time with the Lord. Mm-hmm. I've hands that so like, I'm going through a difficult season. Can you get me through it? I could, but not as well as Jesus can. Yeah, uh, go be with the Lord. And so I think in the aspect of like, um, there's this idea that pastors were made for people, mm-hmm. and I don't. I believe pastors were made for Him, mm-hmm. and in the process of co-laboring with Him, He loves people. Yeah. And so we have the privilege of serving alongside Jesus as he tends to his body. Mm-hmm. And so it's not I that live, but Jesus. So um, I think one of the first things that is unfortunate is when you become a pastor, you assume I'm here for the people and therefore I need to say yes to everything that they mm-hmm. ask of me. I think Moses is a great example that in order for Moses to be an effective pastor and leader, he had to be with God. Yeah. The, now the crowd wanted him down. And I think that that, that that crowd is still calling us from the other side of the pulpit saying, Pastor, I need you here. Pastor, I need you there. Pastor, can you do this? Pastor, can you do that? That same crowd is still saying the same thing they said to Moses. Mm-hmm. It might sound a bit different, but the, the desire is still the same. I want you here. Mm-hmm. And we have been trained, even in school, to assume that we were made for them. We were never made for the people. We mm-hmm. were made for him. Yeah. And so... Um, Moses, in order to be effective for them, had to be with him. He would have had nothing to give them had he been with them. He had to be with God. So in my in my opinion, you will never be an effective leader in your home, never be the, uh, the husband God intended you to be. You'll never be the father or mother God intended you to be, mm-hmm. the wife, um, absent of direct and consistent union with God. Mm-hmm. And so um, if I want to be a great pastor, I need to... Um, prioritize time with Jesus on a consistent yeah. basis. Yeah, our pastoral ministry model is like, I've been going through some coursework uh, more recently, but you know, for longer than that, just looking at like, there's really no concept of a senior pastor even in the right. in the Bible, right? You see yeah. team ministry, you see the fivefold ministry in Ephesians 4, you see teams of elders and deacons right. appointed, you see a network of house churches, like a church in a city wasn't just one group in a house, they were networked to a larger church in a city, but yes. that city church was 
overseen by like a plurality of leadership. And there was definitely leadership. It wasn't like a free for all. Sure. Um, and there was pastors that were caring yeah. for people. Um, but yeah, we, you're right. I mean, it, it's probably a human thing that goes beyond I, just I a church thing that we want to have that person and put big demands on somebody sure. else to, to, and it's like on this like weird tension. Cause we all need people in our lives. Of course we do support. Right. Absolutely. But we can totally get to a, where we end up being people pleasing or bowing yeah. to cultural demands that really God isn't putting yes. on us as pastors. The Bible's not putting those no. demands on us, but culture or expectations or yeah. things like that. Yeah, and and the idea is is whatever you establish the relationship with, you will have to maintain. Mm-hmm. So if you establish it with a dysfunctional, distorted perspective of what they believe a pastor should be, mm-hmm. then you will have to continue to be that for them mm-hmm. for a long time. And that will wear you out. And that's why mm-hmm. I was looking at, actually, I have some statistics here that are, um, I wanted to share because yeah. this is coming out of uh, Barna two, uh, in 2019, mm-hmm. uh, Fuller uh, Bible Institute, as well as, um, what else was it? Uh, Pastoral Care Inc. And so th- these three uh, entities did a study. Um, this came out in 2019. Uh, so... The, the statistics are pretty crazy. Um, mm-hmm. There was something that was being said that 1,500 pastors were leaving uh, the church. Uh, they corrected it. But either way, the number, in my opinion, is still too large. Right. Uh, Life, uh, Lifeway Research uh, desc- described pastors, um, about 250 of them, are known to leave the ministry each month. Mm-hmm. Um Eighty-three percent of clergy spouses want their spouse to leave the ministry. Fifty mm-hmm. percent um, of pastors indicate that they would leave the ministry if they had another way to provide. Eighty mm. percent uh, of pastoral ministry has negatively affected families. Many pastors' children do not attend church now because of what the church has done to their home. Wow. And so this here, I know people are like, well, you know, God's bigger than facts. But in my opinion, yeah. it's fruit. So yeah. it's like you can say what you want to say. He's greater than it, but you can't refute it. Yeah. I mean, this, 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 is, this is truth. So I think that as leaders, we've done a poor job that if our wife um, or if our husband or whatever it might be, if, um, if our kids don't want us serving in the church because they feel the church is taking mm-hmm. – um, whatever it is from the home, then we're doing something wrong. So I was telling you last night at din- dinner, yeah. it's we're, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. Like there is a generational progression that he desires. I want my child saying, he calls me Baba, Baba, I want to serve Jesus like you. Mm-hmm. The only reason that a generation would reject the baton is because we have not led in a healthy way. Right. Right. So the expression of God in the earth, yes, is through a people, but a people typically express that through community, which is church, mm-hmm. the ecclesia, yeah. gathering, all of those things. We know that. So we know where the where things are going as a nation. The last mm-hmm. thing we need is churches closing. Right. And we need more pastors now than ever. Right. We need more churches than ever. Mm-hmm. And so, but if we don't stop what we're doing and look at how we've led, Mm -hmm. then unfortunately we're not going to have that. And so my heart goes out because, uh, we have served in numerous scenarios, um, affairs, misallocation of funds, inappropriate things happening, um, in church, every single destructive, 
um, event that transpired within the church started in a home. Yeah. There's never been one affair that I've ever seen behind a pulpit. Right. Um, so I, it, it doesn't start in the office. It starts at home. Mm-hmm. And so in every single thing that I've been a part of in the last 20 years that has been traumatic, it starts with a husband and a wife. Yeah. And so I'm, if we just allow that to speak for itself and say, wait, wait, wait. If we tend to the home and we value marriage and we tell the pastor, we want you to be a great husband first. Yeah. We want you to be a great dad. We want your home to be thriving because we know that if the home is healthy, the church will be healthy. And today we're looking, and unfortunately, there's many churches that are empty. There's, um, it's just, it's not, it's not as good as I believe that it, c- it could be. And so for us right now, we're focusing our best on trying to pour into pastors and their families, getting their marriages healthy and changing these statistics once and for all. Yeah. Oh. I mean, think of that, bro. 80, you're talking about we're serving Jesus. We're not working for a corporate America. Right. So the fact that someone says, hey, I'm going to go serve God. And then in the process of serving God, that family says, uh, I want nothing to do with this. No, that's something's wrong. Jesus can't take away dad from me. Jesus mm-hmm. should add a better dad to me. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's 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 bizarre. And the enemy, I think, is so sneaky. And, he, and right now, if you ask pastors, hey, what do you want more than... I can't say that. That's a blanket statement. But the majority of pastors right now, they're lo- wondering, how do I make my church grow? Mm-hmm. How do I get more people in a building? Sure. I would say that is an absolute byproduct of asking yourself, you should first be asking, how do I get my family healthy? How do I pack my living room before I pack my, 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 uh, my church or my congregation? Yeah. Oh, so important. Yeah. I mean, I think that leadership, like right now, getting along with Jesus, being after his presence and building a healthy family. You know, I just, uh, I haven't finished the book yet. It's really good. Uh, the intentional father by John Tyson just released a few weeks ago. It was actually in partnership with Barna. They put in some research on fathers and stuff like that. I'd love to read that. But he, um, he like took like one day and kind of reverse engineered, like what, what's everything I want my son to know when he's 18. And his son was like either like 12 and about to turn 13 or right around that age. Uh, and he just kind of dreamed with the Lord for a day, and he journaled it all out. Yeah. Like, I wanted to know this biblically, doctrinally. I wanted yeah. to be formed spiritually this way. I wanted to know how to cook for himself, change yeah. a car tire, have different certain skills. Like, And so he's like, he's like, I'm a... I'm an event, you know, like I do events for my church. I strategize discipleship methods. And so he's like, why, why shouldn't I be doing this for my own son? Yeah, right. You know, so like he literally, he created a course called The Primal Path, and then he and then he wrote the book Intentional Father, and it's basically to help dads oh, develop their own that. rite of passage wow. for their sons. Yes, um, to take them intentionally into manhood. Yeah, and so he did this. His son's like twenty or so yeah. now, and then they finished. His son took a gap year, and then after he graduated high school, and then they went on a the the big Camino, the big hike in is wow. it in Spain? I don't know. Uh, I think it's in Spain. It's called the Camino. It's like the it, it's anyway. It's this beautiful epic. Wow. It takes like. I don't know, two weeks or three weeks to do this, however many miles per day through all these different towns and hills. And anyway, so they culminated with that. And then he like brought his son like into the community of men to yeah. be blessed at the oh, end of it awesome. and all this stuff. But it was just the the concept to me was, he was that was so powerful in hearing him talk in some podcasts about yeah. it was 
I talk, I, I all these business guys in the church, these guys that are successful in the career, they pour so much creative energy, yeah. entrepreneurship, wisdom. But he's like, why don't you like yeah. pour some of that intention into your family? And yes. I was like, wow. We give our best. I remember mm-hmm. walking in to my house one time and my kids wanted to go play football. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I'm so tired. And my wife told me, she's like, you realize you've given your best for the church and now you're giving your family the scraps. Mm-hmm. That should not be the case. I remember one time I was getting, preparing, I told you a little bit about this last night at dinner. I was preparing, my son walked in and mm-hmm. I was in the middle of a thought. I was like, hey, you know, about studying and then the Lord rebuked me. Is there ever a bad time for me to come to you? And I was like, no, Lord, there's not. And even he took it further. The Lord, I felt in my heart was saying to me, and why should they be receiving bread the same time as strangers are? Mm-hmm. And so that started me actually sharing my my sermon with them on Saturday nights. If I'm preaching on Sunday, mm-hmm. I let them feel like they're the first to hear it. Mm-hmm. They're not going to hear it the same time everyone else hears it. Mm-hmm. There's something special about them, the sacrifices cool. that are being made. And so you're not going to be treated just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. You're always going to have my attention and my time. The sad thing is, is that we paid a lot of money to go to Bible college. Yeah. No one ever told me how to be a great husband. Mm-hmm. No one ever said how to be a great dad. But the qualifications in Timothy right. are have everything to do with what happens in your home. Yeah. So I was like, wait, the qualifications of a pastor have nothing to do with the fact of you going to college. Uh-huh. has everything to do with how you run your home, how right. you tend to your home. Mm-hmm. And so in my opinion, I think we need to put more emphasis on teaching pastors how to pastor their home. Yeah. And at the same time, in my opinion, if you pastor your home well, you'll pastor your flock well. Yeah, this is like everything I'm studying right now, actually, about like the church is really a family of families. Yeah. We're a family that has a mission. So we do have a mission to make disciples and learn doctrine, but it's really, we're a household of households. I love that. So a church can only be as strong as its families That's are. That's it. And that definitely flows from the top down, from the yeah. elders, the pastor, yeah. the leaders of the church. Um it's yeah. so it's so huge. And that that's was first really century. right, and that's really where yeah. the that's really it was that soil that you pulled your leaders from. Yeah, it was, and it was incarnational. Like you were doing, you were in, you were doing life together. Yeah. You're not in these surfacey like just learning these Bible lessons yeah. and doctrinal theology. Like you're living life together. You're learning how to represent Jesus to your community yes. as as God's family on a mission. And so, yeah, your relational integrity. And I mean, I've heard like two. Rodney Stark wrote a book, uh, like a, he's a sociologist or a historian, and there's another guy that wrote a book, McMullen, on the Christianization of the Roman Empire. Wow. And like McMullen said that it was the power, that Christians had power to confront demons, and they had an answer to like the idol worship of Rome, right. and they confronted the powers, and that's what caused Christianity to just so rapidly spread. But Stark's study was that it was the social fabric mm of like when there was plagues and other people fled for the hills, the Christians loved their neighbors, helped wow. the poor. They uh, revolutionized. Um, same with Tom Holland, another, uh, he's not, a, I don't think he's professing Christianity, but he's like fascinated with Christianity. Wow. And, uh, he just wrote a, a, a book as well, kind of on Christianity in the Roman Empire. And he said the same thing as Stark, kind of that like, it was like the Christian marriages. It was like that women were just like sexually used, yeah. almost like, you know, and romance was more between men in the Roman culture. Right. And like they'd be married, have a wife and kids, but like they'd go to these bathhouses wow. and, you know, it was like all this immorality. Yeah. But when like Paul's like, husbands, don't love your wife, like yeah. Christ loved the church. And 
and give yourself for her and yeah. wash her with the word. Like that was revolution that revolutionized. And like a lot of the things that we think of like treating a woman with respect and dignity that feminists think they own. It really was a revolution of Christianity, wow. having strong marriages, strong family values, welcoming the poor, loving right. people. And it was our, so you, anyway, I'm going That's all over. That's incredible. No, but it's like it. the power and in the yes. love of family yeah. and really living your life authentically with yeah. integrity. These were the things, being a good neighbor, being a good husband yeah. or wife, being a good parent. This was what caused Christianity to flourish. Yeah. And uh, even I, I think love on the side of what you're saying, mm-hmm. like even when thinking of love, I'm I'm all for power. I love right. I love the dynamic of God. Yeah, like, amen. I love it. But power without love is dangerous. It, it is, destroys. Yeah. And so, um, a lot even in in ministry, you know, I I love First Corinthians thirteen when it's uh, breaking it all down, mm-hmm. and 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 typically it's dealing like with like you know prophecy and being able to share mysteries and that's all the stuff we love. Like I don't get me wrong. I love it. Yeah. I love it. But we know that all those things will fade. Mm-hmm. It's rare that you find people coming up to you and saying, Hey, can you teach me how to love? But in our circles where we've come from and traveling and doing evangelistic thing, can I get a, a double portion? Could you give me your anointing? Mm-hmm. I want to prophesy. I want to lay hands on the sick. We want all that. And I'm not, and I'm not yeah. diminishing right. it, but I think that there is this, thing within society that we're naturally gravitated toward maybe the gifts, the manifestations of it. And and the other side, I think of what I saw that in one, in one case, I saw a pastor who was in the middle of having an affair, but he was still incredibly gifted. People were being saved and healed and uh-huh. prophetic words, completely, absolutely accurate. And I was kind of taken back by that whole thing until you realize in the moment, the gifts are without repentance. Yeah. And so for me, I realized I was like, okay, um, I want everything that Jesus has. I want to do all that God's called me to do, but I have to have love before. I need to. I need to know. I need to begin to ask myself, why do I want to pray for this person? Yeah. Because I love them. Because I should be doing it the same way Jesus did. And Jesus right. loved the world so much that He mm-hmm. gave His life to them. And so, even on the aspect of, of that's why I think love is is so vital because everyone's searching for it. Everyone wants it. Your wife wants it from you. Your kids want it from you. And so um, as much as we value the aspect of power and the expression of it, I do believe that one of the greatest prayers a person can pray is, Lord, love me and teach me how to be loved so that I can love others around me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's powerful. Uh, you've been around um, a lot of leadership failure. And I mean, I, I, you said like you saw a leader in operation, like incredible gifts. Mm-hmm. I remember I was at a church service in our area once and I was like, the guy was up teaching and it was so bad. His church was big. It was like one of the, as fast growing, one of the fastest growing churches in America, I think at the time, or at least in that window yeah. of time. And I was going there to hear a different guest speaker, but the guy got up during an offering and the theology was like, just, it was really wacky and it was really manipulative. He was like saying he could call a curse down on you today yeah. if you didn't give oh because gosh. he had the authority of Moses and Moses. So he can, he can take the blessing you're supposed to have gosh, and replace it. Yeah. It was, it was just, I felt so sick. And I'm like, mm. I've heard of people getting saved here. This church is growing. All these yeah. good things are happening. Like how can the, and I, I left really grieved. I was like probably like 19 at the time. And I wasn't even fully surrendered to the Lord yet. I yeah. didn't really have a, it's probably like a year later that I really had my time where like I really got delivered and loved Jesus. And yeah. like, this is my faith now. Um, but I remember leaving with my, some of my dad's friends and I was like, we went to a meal and I was like, what's up with that? Yeah. How could people sit under that stuff? Yeah. And one of the guys, like 
guys spoke of wisdom that was like a little older than my dad. And he's like, do you remember Moses and the rock? Hmm. And he's like, the second time, like God told him not to strike the rock, um, but just speak to it. And he struck the rock against in anger. And he said, uh, but water still flowed from the rock. God mm-hmm. still did the miracle, yeah. but then he penalized Moses said, you're not going to see the promised land because right. you, because re- you uh, reached out in anger. Right. And so he said, so a leader can do the wrong thing, but God will still do miracles through them because God loves, loves the people. Love for the people. Oh, I've seen and, that so And so times. when he told me that story, it was like, so I still don't even know how it works, yeah. but it at least gave me a reference to yeah. not go crazy yeah. or to not like, <laughs> yeah. you just want to be like, I'm done with yeah. all this. Cause I remember feeling so much anger yeah. and confusion. Well, you remember in the scripture where it says, uh, they came to, they said, but Lord, we've done this in your name. I fully believe in my heart. The verbiage in itself is shocked. They right. thought they would be accepted. And now they're being rejected and they were using yeah. all the things that they had done. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't want to ever be on that side of, Man, it's of so it, sobering of it at all to ever assume that just because uh, the gift is in operation that I am where I need to be with the Lord. And that's why I think spending time with Jesus on a daily basis will never allow you to get to that place. Yeah. If we're spending time with Jesus just for sermon preparation, uh, just right. to get stuff, um, I, I just think it, it's just only a matter of time before you come to the end of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why the statistics are. There's another statistic that says the average pastor's uh, span in ministry is five years. Yeah. And so I, I think that... Um, longevity is in being who God intended you to be, mm-hmm. which is one who was created for him to be sustained by him and to return to him. Yeah. This is for him. Right. So with all the leaders that you come across in mm-hmm. failure, cause you've been in a lot of scenarios yeah. to try to help come alongside either the individual or the church that's kind of reeling because yeah. of this mess they're in. Um, what is your like typical advice? Like what, what yeah. do you, what time do you with, time with God uh-huh. stopped? Sermon preparation took over time with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Sermon preparation is not time with God. Yeah. Sermon preparation is just planning your calendar better yeah. and making sure that you have time to hear from the Lord mm-hmm. and prep your sermon. Time with the Lord is mm-hmm. is time with Jesus. So I think, yeah. number one, you spend time with the Lord. I haven't met any leaders who have ever fallen away that have spent time with Jesus every day. Yeah. I haven't. Right. And the other side is... Um, My dad's always told me the same thing. He's helped the, a lot of leaders over the years. He just... He's never like promoted it as a ministry, but yeah. just when leaders have fallen, they end up at our church and he doesn't have a program or anything, but they just tend to get healed in the environment. Yeah. Oh yeah. And just, they meet, he might meet with them a couple of times and, sure. you know, invest in them a little bit, but like they just come around. Yeah. And so he's always said the same thing without fail, son, uh, neglecting your true. quiet time and your, your, you know, your secret yeah. place time with the Lord. That's, I think it's the it's, most common denominator. It is there. And the other side would be as if you're married um, mm-hmm. it's uh, intentional time with your wife mm-hmm. and your children. And that means phones in the pot. Uh, that means, um, I, and I, th- well, let me, let me backtrack. Time with the Lord and Sabbath yeah. are massive. Right. And so I struggled for, I and I still have to have, I have to set up like, you know, do not disturb, shut my phone off. Cause I know my weakness sometimes is like, Oh, but I just thought of this. I need to go do this. Uh-huh. And, um, I remember while I was trying to process through it, I felt like the Lord was saying, like, uh, you know, you wouldn't give your my tithe to anyone. I mm-hmm. said, absolutely not. It's it's not mine to give. It's yours. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, then that's the same way I look at the Sabbath. It's not your time to give mm-hmm. to anyone else. It's your time to rest and enjoy me yeah. and for the two of us to enjoy each other. 
during that day, and that means a lot to him. And so, uh, and then so I would say time with Jesus, Sabbath, and then time with your family, and and really understanding that we're in a marathon. Yeah, you can always get to it tomorrow. Right. Or you can get to it on Tuesday. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not gonna uh, be the end of the world, and. Whatever you create at the top will be the very environment that others live by. So if you can create that at home, then your team will learn to value that in their home, and then you have a healthy culture. Yeah, and with you having, you know, four kids with one well, one of the fours on, on the way, yeah. uh, and the busyness of your life, I mean, for us too, like we we got stricter about Sabbath about two years ago. I think it was before the pandemic a little while. But we were just like, life is crazy. And yeah. it's like, it might be crazy six days, yeah. but one day a week, be, it's yeah. not going to be crazy. No. You know, like we're going to just... It took a long time for me to do that. Oh, yeah. And was... still to this day, my wife will be like, babe. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, no, no. Right. It's not yours. And so I'm grateful that I have that. But something yeah. in us as pastors, we feel mm-hmm. like we have to be doing. Yeah. Your wife, remember your wife said something last night about uh-huh. being busy. Uh-huh. I think being busy is probably one of the most destructive things yeah. in life. But learning to be still and rest and still be productive and be mm-hmm. fruitful and work hard. Yeah. But um, it doesn't need to be done seven days a week. Six is better than one. Yeah. The seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Is there any other like principles that you guys have lived by to either support as you have a busy home to support yeah. your wife in getting time with the Lord or yourself, how she supports you? Yeah, so for... For so long, we did it wrong. Um, and what I mean by we did it wrong, I did it wrong. Hmm. Um, she grew up as a PK. When I first met her, I told you this last night, she didn't want to even consider me because she right. she was raised where um, she was under the idea of winning the lost at any cost and mm-hmm. your family will understand when they get older the sacrifices that you made on behalf of Jesus. And but unfortunately, they, they don't. Yeah, they don't. And they're exactly. jacked up and they're still messed up. And they still have resentment and they still don't mm-hmm. want to be a part of ministry. So she was just like, I don't know if I want to pastor as a husband. Um, she just said, never seen it done right. Mm-hmm. And um, so for f- she's she's tasted it f- from when she was young. And her dad did the best that he knew to do as well. But he was groomed for the same things that we were groomed for. We, you, mm-hmm. you don't know any different. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, so she... She's really fought for family for a very long time. And in the beginning where we were planting churches and helping churches get started, this idea is this is temporary. Well, that's never the truth. That's a full-blown lie. Yeah. The pace that you create in the beginning will be the pace that increases through time. You have to be intentional about creating a healthy rhythm yeah. and pace for your, for your uh, staff and for the way in which you build and lead yeah. or else it, it only increases and it gets out of, out of hand. So I was like, you know, it's, it's going to only be a year, one year, let it two years, still not prioritizing families, still giving my all to everyone around me, trying to be everything mm-hmm. for everyone. And in the end, you know, my, my kids felt like they didn't have their dad. And I remember one time we decided to step away from a church and my oldest son greeted me at the door and I shared with him, Hey, that we're, we're gonna, we're not gonna, um, we're going to step away. And he said, that means I get my dad back. Hmm. And it hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, he thinks Jesus is taking me away from him and not adding a better dad to him. Yeah. With that being said, we stopped everything. And for two and a half years, we went on this journey where the Lord said, I want you to do two things. There's no more ministry. You're not doing anything. I want you to tend to my heart and tend to the heart of your home. In the process of tending to the Lord's heart and tending to the heart of the home, we learned uh, to reset our rhythm 
And um, in that process, I learned to understand that my wife had a better gauge on what family should look like. Mm -hmm. And um, I yielded more to her. And we began to realize, wait, I think I'm I'm not looking at things the way they need to be. I, I should be looking at it, and it's creating a sense of uh, dysfunction in our home. So we do it more together on that side. When we got back into ministry, we learned to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, so I realized that every yes I gave a stranger was a no to my family, and I needed to weigh that, that decision. Is this yes worth this no? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just we slowed down, and I realized now that I, I stepped back into ministry after those two and a half years, and um, we create, I just, we create our pace. I don't feel bad anymore for telling people no. Mm-hmm. And I've felt horrible before. It's not like I mean, like everyone asked me a question, no. Yeah. But I said yes to everyone. Yeah. And I think that if you can get accustomed to saying yes to the things Jesus wants you to say yes to, but also understanding he said no to a lot of things as well. Mm. And no isn't a bad word for a pastor. Right. It's yeah. just not. And your phone. Your phone's the worst. Uh-huh. You know, shutting that phone off is probably the greatest thing that ever happens. Yeah, totally. That's, it doesn't get more practical than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they made him to be addictive. Like So bad. We just started watching The Social Dilemma, like, this week. The yeah. documentary oh, yeah. on, on uh, apps and how mm-hmm. they've been developed to, like, they're like, you know, you you the the person using it you're the yeah. product yeah <laughs> like yeah exactly the company that they're making money off of is, is this is the mark is the people you know they're they're making money yeah. off of you so they're selling your time and your attention to all these marketing you know all yeah. these companies that are doing marketing for yeah. their products or whatever i jumped off of social media yeah. years ago I, I think i have twitter but who has twitter anymore yeah so twitter's not a big deal no one even has twitter i just uh-huh. with the news and stuff but uh i think also understanding my Mm-hmm. my weaknesses and uh, I found yeah. myself being yeah good for you so there's no so, to, so for someone yeah. to follow you because sometimes I'm like yeah can somebody follow you find I took it find off. your ministry find something and you're like like you're gonna have to meet I don't Theo Kulianos Jr. in real life yeah <laughs> if and, you want to yeah. and, and it's amazing too because well in those two years we took everything offline so because so I, has I, God still provided for you and you still have open oh, doors yeah, uh, totally so we, I mean so we you got, don't you can actually do something in life without social media <laughs> this is this is this is crazy so we had no we took in those two years, and this was probably uh, two, almost two years ago, in those two years where we took everything, all, we got off the grid. I took everything offline, contacting people in churches, hey, let's take my videos off, whatever mm-hmm. it is that we had going on, because we didn't want to be distracted mm-hmm. and pulled away by opportunity. And so, um, but that's how we provided. And so the Lord would speak to people. This is no joke. The Lord would speak to people in those two years where we had mm-hmm. approximately... Uh, almost $200,000 come in. Mm. I realized in that moment, and that's without us asking, mm. that I realized in that moment that, wow, this is really important to the Lord to love him and love my family. Mm-hmm. And so I would wake up every day, spend time with Jesus, spend time with my family, do nothing else. Mm. It was the most incredible thing. Wow. Um, after we got, and then we shut off social media, did all those kinds of things. After we got out of that season, um, that's when I realized, I was like, okay, I don't want to, I mean, it took a while for me to reset. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go back to where I was before that season. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things that God had to strip from me to get my attention? And then in the most practical ways, I just had to realize social media was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rather it be word of mouth if I'm going to go any place. I don't, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Like now, like old school, like we, we can still do that. I'm here because of word of mouth. Right. And so um, I just enjoy that aspect. It helps me. And then the other side was I got caught into self-promotion. 
And then I found myself saying, wait, why am I posting this? Am I posting this to get someone's attention so mm-hmm. that I can get an invitation to a church? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the purpose of this? And then I just realized that's not healthy for me either. And then the likes and mm-hmm. all of it. And so I was just like, you know what? I'm going to be the guy who's on the side of the hill. When my name gets called to come to the table, I'll come. But in the meantime, I'm just going to yeah. serve others, serve the Lord, and be uh, in the shadows. Good for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and I mean, I... Uh, uh, our our mutual friend that introduced us, Dr. Stephen List, you know, like that guy's like completely off the radar. You I can't you can't find barely anything out about him unless you hear about him word of mouth. But like he's all over the world. though. He, yeah, he tells you all these stories. Yeah. And I remember he preached at this room full of leaders about all these supernatural events. And I won't even try to retell the yeah. stories. There's too many. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, every time I for every year I've known this guy, the amount of stories that still come out that yeah. I'm like, there's more. Yeah. How could there be more? Yeah. You know, it's incredible. Well, I felt like because I didn't do anything mm-hmm. to get here, right. it was the Lord. Yeah. So I, I, I think, um, you know, you have to sift through invitations at times yeah. when you're marketing yourself. Uh-huh. You don't have to really do that when you're mm-hmm. not marketing yourself and you're kind of hidden mm-hmm. in the shadows and you have mm-hmm. an opportunity. Typically it's the Lord. Sometimes mm-hmm. you kind of have to weigh through, but I felt the Lord in this, and we didn't try and it's obviously on yeah. the Lord's heart so right yeah and it's I think it's very important that we I mean I have no problem like blessing a guest speaker or like mm-hmm. even people like getting a fair salary for being whether it's a pastor or an yeah. itinerant speaker or anything like that um, but I think even we talked about it a little last night at dinner uh, you had made a comment and, and I agree with it wholeheartedly but if if our friendships in the kingdom are really based around like what platform we get to stand on or yeah. how much money somebody's going to give us or we're only going to keep in touch because we care about the next yeah. engagement like and i get it like you have a family to provide for things like that but if yeah. if, if we're if we're just becoming professional mm-hmm. professionals and we make every decision based on how much we're going to get paid or how Absolutely. much influence this next thing's going to give us yep um, we're we're not following the Jesus model. No. It's not truly apostolic. It's not truly the model we see yeah. of the way of Christ and the apostles. No, I, I I think what I told you last night is I refuse to establish meaningful relationships with people where those relationships are substantiated by platforms and honorariums. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to look and say, I don't need your pulpit or your check, but I value who you are. And I sincerely consider you to be a friend. Now, of course, we're not going to have that with everyone because there's right. opportunities where you're preaching yeah. and you're not going to know yeah. people. But for those that you choose to kind of dig in with, I don't want it to be with, uh, I don't want it to be based on opportunities and those kinds of things. And the other side is too, is uh, you wouldn't, most people wouldn't think this, but for we know uh, a lot of people are often trying to get somewhere in their ministry. They're trying to gain publicity and notoriety. Yeah. And so what they do is they begin to leverage the influence of others. Mm-hmm. And so as much as they are trying to befriend you, the truth is they're also wanting the friends that come with you. Yeah. And it, it can get just a bit messy. And so I just, I, I enjoy the fact to know that um, those that I'm going to be in relationship with will be just simply the fact that I enjoy who they are. I want mm-hmm. them in my life. And no matter if they give me a pulpit or a check that's not going to change the way I feel about them. Yeah. No, it's, and that's why I wanted to come here. Yeah. Cause I was like, I told, I told you, bro. I'm like, I go zero to 60. The reason yeah. I go zero to 60 is because I don't have many. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I'm I'm pretty selective on the right. people that I choose to yeah. to do ministry with. Um I could mm-hmm. have I could get online and have a lot of places to mm-hmm. preach at and I'm not boasting in that. Mm-hmm. I could do that if uh, but for me in my heart I want to be able to know that those that I'm holding the plow with that I know them and yeah. and to know those you labor among are important these days, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Thank you uh, very much for your time, uh, our it. dialogue today. Could you just pray a prayer, yeah. over, especially if pastors or leaders? I mean, it gets over anybody, yeah. I guess, but I think that'd be a cool yeah. way to end today. Father, we come before you in the beautiful name of your Son, mm. Jesus, our loving Savior, our mm. friend, our King, our everything. Lord, you know exactly where your people are at right now. Mm-hmm. You know them better than we do. You know exactly what it is that they need. I'm just asking God that they would become vulnerable. Yes, Lord. Transparent. They would look at the fruit that they have created. um, Not in a place to be ashamed of what they've done, but that they would actually be able to look and see, is this really what I want? At this stage of my life, at this stage of a leadership, is is this what I want? And that they would be humble enough uh, to turn to you and to repent and to ask for you to come and reset everything in their life. I ask God that you would cause us all to be drawn into the place of secret, that we would respond when you say, come away. And in the process of us interacting and engaging with you, you would bring a refreshing presence that renews everything and gives us a fresh opportunity to do the right thing the right way we love you and we're here for you the privilege of tending to you and loving you and being able to live a life that says we're thankful it's the greatest honor of my life Lord to say thank you by the way I live my life I'm so thankful that you've given me an opportunity through expression to say that I love you and I'm grateful bless everyone bless their families heal marriages in Jesus name Amen Amen Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining the John Hammer Show. Please give us a thumbs up, like, and subscribe if you're enjoying the content here. And the best way to support this podcast is leaving us a great review. Thanks.